celebrate the return of the Premier League, we're offering 40% off a subscription to The Athletic for a limited time only. So go to athletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up for less than £3 a month. That's £3 a month for some of the best football writing on the planet Earth. At The Athletic, we care about your club. We have a dedicated journalist, sometimes more than one, for every team in the Premier League. So you can sign up right now and enjoy unrivaled coverage and insight for all 20 Premier League teams as this season finally reaches its belated conclusion. It's the Premier League 2, too fast, too furious. Join us at The Athletic. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. We've finally done it. Football is back. The Premier League is back. We're about to watch Manchester United play a game of competitive football once again. To celebrate that fact, I've got two of the best Manchester United minds on planet Earth to help me explain what happens next. First up, it's the man with a plan, the Athletics Manchester United writer, Mr. Laurie Whitwell. Laurie, how are you doing? I'm good, Carl. I, I think that's the first time I've ever been. it's ever been suggested I might have a plan, so thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, you think on the fly, but it, 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 it's a plan of sorts. Um, also with us, I'm very proud to bring you one of the best storytellers around. Uh, it's United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic. It's Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you doing? All good, mate. Nice to join you again. Looking forward to the pod. Coming up today, we're going to preview a Manchester United game for the first time in about 90 days. Uh, tell you why Paul Pogba is unlikely to start against Tottenham Hotspur. And we're also going to pay homage to Marcus Rashford. Just a, a very nice boy and, and, and the leader we need right now. This is it. Tottenham Hotspur versus Manchester United this Friday, 8 o'clock. British summertime. It's genuinely going to happen. Hooray. Laurie, please bring us up to speed. Uh, who's fit? Who's not fit? Uh, uh, what kit is Manchester United going to play? Uh, is there going to be crowd noise? What's going on? Positive signs, really, from United. Um, obviously, they had the postponed game against Stoke uh, last week, or the cancelled game, rather, because of Michael O'Neill's very late coronavirus positive test, which I suppose is a bit of a scare, but at the same time, none of the Stoke players came into areas where United sort of working at Carrington. They were sent home. Uh, Michael O'Neill didn't even make it to Carrington. It was in, he was in his car on his way. So they're pretty happy that everything was done to incubate United from having any kind of risk of, of infection. So then they obviously played against West Brom, a couple of friendly games, more for players getting into the mentality of, of playing at Old Trafford in front of an empty stadium, getting into the groove of playing a kind of match. You know, there's obviously a competition element there. Um, one, one match, 3-1, lost the other 2-1. Um, Solskjaer tried a few different things. Uh, we obviously saw Bruno and, and um, Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba play in the same team for the first time together, given they'd played against each other in these intra-club friendlies. I think Phil Jones is the only injury that I've heard of anyway, and I think it's a minor one. So um, everybody else, I think, is fully fit. But we shall see. Ooh, promising news that. Andy, how do you feel about Manchester United coming back to such a big game? I'm looking forward to seeing United play. It's not the football as I know it. I still think that football grounds without fans are a long, long way short of the real thing. But here we are, top them away. Um, it's a ground that Ollie Gunner used to love, White Hart Lane. It was the one ground he loved going to. And the new Tottenham Stadium is the only ground in the Premier League where United haven't visited just because of the, the quirks of the way the fixtures have fallen and obviously the delay now. And the last time I saw him face-to-face was in Lask in Austria and I know Laurie was there. And I left the room after the game with him talking about attacking Tottenham on the Sunday. And I thought, this is what I want to hear from a Manchester United manager. Not playing cagey. I'm going to go to Tottenham away and I'm going to attack them. It's still a huge game. I think we're going to see a very different game to the one we would have seen had there not been a lockdown. 
players have not played matches and it's all right people talking about uh, the friendly matches and x scored or y scored the pace of these games especially the the intra club ones at old trafford has been very very low you're not going to get the players coming straight back to speed um to the level that they were at it's going to take a little bit of time and it's exactly the same for tottenham so so that's fine i'm really intrigued by it Mourinho against Oli Gunnar and everything that, that comes with that. Um, we spoke on this podcast about me interviewing Oli Gunnar a few weeks ago and he told one story in there where before the game in December at Old Trafford, and that was a massive game, United really had to get something out of that game because they got to the start of December by picking up four league wins, which is appalling. And Jose met Oli in the changing rooms, the tight changing rooms at Old Trafford and he'd never really met him before. They, they didn't know each other and... Ollie said, you know, Jose being Jose, he was moaning about the size of the away dressing room, the ones that he changed and made smaller. And he said it in a very lighthearted way. And I think there's a genuine affection there, a genuine respect. And if you're Ollie Gunnar, why wouldn't you respect Jose Mourinho? He's one of the great modern football managers. But there was always a danger when that interview came out that it would be reported as, you know, Mourinho slates Old Trafford dressing rooms. And I'm glad that that, that didn't really happen. A couple of the sort of clickbaity sites tugged on that angle a little bit but there's there's two teams it just really intrigues me it's the two sides they've, they've both got virtual full squads United's record at Tottenham was atrocious until last season when they went away when Tottenham were just about still at Wembley and it was that game where De Gea had his best ever match and somehow United managed to win the game and I'm looking forward to seeing the red shirts of Manchester United play a football match that's my overriding feeling everything else um, is secondary to that and the main feeling is that there's going to be no fans there. And, and, and that I, it just doesn't sit well with me. Laurie, I've been going through the Athletic website and uh, I noticed a piece from you saying Paul Pogba's unlikely to start against Spurs. Could you explain that a little bit for me? Yeah, so it's information that I've uh, gleaned when I was doing my research for a piece on whether Bruno and, and Pogba could play together. So that's sort of the big question I think a lot of fans are excited about. And listen, a lot of footballers are excited about. You, you, we saw Gary Neville's tweet um, on Saturday after the West Brom friendly way was sort of um, suggesting that any kind of doubt about them playing together was uh, was a bit foolish really because you look at Man City, um, they've had Kevin De Bruyne and, and David Silva playing in midfield three for three years to, to good effect. So clearly there are people, you know, very... Uh, established and experienced people that think that they can play together but that was kind of my premise of, of the piece can they how would they play together in researching that speaking to people the word that I'd got back was that actually you know United Solskjaer were looking at playing the match against Tottenham with, with Pogba on the bench which necessarily wouldn't be a surprise really because he has not played since Boxing Day has had this troublesome ankle injury albeit he's come back and trained very well uh, and, and he's you know seems reinvigorated by having perhaps Bruno to bounce off and, and by having this period of time now to you know where you, you know he's going to be fully fit and, and can play sort of fairly frequently but I think there's a few considerations aside from the fitness issues it's also the fact that United were on an 11 match unbeaten run prior to lockdown so is there an element where Pogba has to earn his place back a little bit is it is it crazy for me to even say that you know given how talented he is as a player World Cup winner and on all the money he was bought for and, and obviously the salary that he commands but I do think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to have a, a team where you have to earn your place. So, you know, it's it's not necessarily a given that he walks straight back in, in my opinion. And then also the, the, a third consideration um, that was brought to my attention was the fact that, you know, United might have to just guard against those quick Tottenham counters. We, we know how a Jose Mourinho team usually likes to operate 
even at home, they've sat back and given the opposition the ball and looked to break on the counter. And, and with the players now at his disposal, I think that could be another tactic that he employs. So do you need an extra midfielder there with a sort of defensive mindset, perhaps, you know, a Matic um, to guard against that kind of situation? So they're, they're the considerations. And listen, obviously, you know, Solskjaer's not named his team or anything like that um, just yet, but the kind of idea that was being put back to me was that Pogba would perhaps be one that isn't in the starting eleven. And just adding to what Laurie's saying, and there's some there's some good stuff there. I think there's an issue is where does Pogba play? Does he play as a ten or does he play behind? And I'm told that if you look at Pogba's stats, he doesn't actually pass the ball forward anything like as much as Fernandez, where his first reaction, and we saw this from his very first game against Wolves at Old Trafford, get the ball, move it forward. So you might think that Fernandez should be in the more advanced role, but Pogba has been playing as a ten in training and they've been switching it around a lot as well so you can see that Ole Gunnar he does think they can play together because they're both very good players and great players can play together but these are the issues the little nubs that they've got to work through um, because if you're playing them to such attack-minded players and you fear for any defenders trying to manage both of them because if you go with one then you free the other one up but as Laurie says Tottenham counter it would be just like United to go there, play really well, dominate the game, and Tottenham do what United have done to some of the better teams, just counter and, and hit them. So there's a confidence, and yet it's a fragile confidence because there has been 11 games, uh, a run of 11 games unbeaten for Manchester United. But this season could still end very, very badly if the team don't qualify for the Champions League, don't win the FA Cup, don't win the Europa League. Or it could end exceptionally well, where people are toasting the manager, the return to form, and of Pogba and Fernandez hopefully uh, gelling together. I want to talk about this sort of feeling in terms of Manchester United's midfield, and there's a certain alchemy here. So, right now you've got, well, previously Scott McTominay, Fred, and Bruno Fernandez all going forward. Andy, is that a midfield you want to continue in this game against Spurs? They beat in Manchester City in the last game. And they all played really well. And if we were talking in October, Carl, we'd be saying make changes because Fred was not performing well. And the injuries came in. You had Pogba out. You had McTominay out. But they've really impressed me. And then throw in uh, Nemanja Matic, who's probably been the best Manchester United player of, of 2020. There was a report in a Serbian newspaper a few weeks ago that there was a rumour that he gave the ball away in 1994 in a junior match, but nobody could confirm it. Nobody could stand it, stand it up. I think Matic is a really important player, and he fell out of fashion a bit. I interviewed him in Singapore at the start of this season, and I said on Twitter, I've just interviewed Nemanja Matic, and the reaction was, yeah, whatever, because he, because the mood, everyone was annoyed, because he wasn't a fashionable player, because he wasn't a new signing, because he was the wrong side of 30. I think he's been a, become a cracking player for Manchester United this year, as he was when he arrived. Fred McTominay, less so about Andreas Pereira, if I'm honest. You know, he's got to do a lot, lot more, and he knows that. But suddenly, I think we're looking at a very good midfield. And then you've got a lot of players who can play in a similar position. You've got Juan Mata. He's not a long-term option for Manchester United. You've got Jesse Lingard. His stock's probably lower than it's ever been at Manchester United. So the idea of swapping Lingard for whoever certainly appeals to fans, but there's there's already a very good midfield there. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part 
of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Laura, I want to get your quick thoughts about what the atmosphere is going to be like in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. You confirmed that they're going to have fans on the big screen on the ground. Yeah, well, this is a story that I did, uh, I can't remember when it was, a couple of weeks ago, was it? Um, it was sort of after the Premier League executive meetings that you know they've been having where they've been trying to hammer out various different issues. And, and this one was a, apparently a bit more of a uh, serene experience. And the Premier League presented to the execs um, these ideas that fans would, would be able to be on big screens if, if they so wanted. Uh, I think we've seen it in Denmark, haven't we? And, and then Tottenham uh, have announced this week that that's what they'll have on Friday night where fans can watch at home on Zoom and um, intermittently can be shown in the stadium to give players a sense of people watching create a bit of an atmosphere um, which I think is I can understand why it's been happening. I think that's probably not a bad idea. You know, fans are what we want in stadiums. So at least this is something to to go towards that direction. Clearly at Old Trafford, that isn't an option because there isn't a big screen. But I think where possible, you know, they can, that they've got a wraparound, for example, on the um, the bottom section of of stadiums now as well. So that can be given over to sort of flags maybe or or bespoke kind of designs that give a sense of a a purpose and and give give an idea of fans. Um, So I do think that that it's, a, it's not a bad idea I think it, it you know we'll, we'll see how it works you know you, obviously you might get a few situations where the fans aren't necessarily paying total attention I don't know I think we've had that in, in Denmark but um, at the same time I think the way that they'll screen the fans is that they obviously want people that are going to be fully energised and, and give a, a sort of proper sense of atmosphere and, and celebration or, or, or you know sort of uh, commiseration I suppose if things aren't going too great number of methods to to help fans get to the stadium but for a number of fans this will be the first game in years that they won't be able to see Manchester United Andy I've heard you've been speaking to quite a few uh, Manchester United diehards that are trying to get used to the new normal I have for the last couple of weeks people who've not missed matches since 1985 1987 1989 you know they're proud of their 1600 game run of going to every single game there's a couple who who've done home matches and not missed games at Old Trafford, but there's others who they've been to every single European away game as well and pre-season friendlies and they're going to be missing matches and nobody will be getting the violin out for them. There won't be much sympathy to towards these people, but they are die-hard football fans. They're extremely good football fans and their, their records of never missing matches mean an awful lot to them. They're proud of them. They're part of the furniture at away games. They're familiar faces away games and this can't be a new normal to them you know and, and what Laurie was talking about there with getting the fans on the screen inside the stadium that that's a version of hell to, to the type of people who go to all the games that that doesn't appeal to them so United have got to be quite careful in, in choosing the right fans but it's a difficult one for United it's a bit of a hospital pass because the type of fans who go to all the matches wouldn't want to be seen dead being on a screen by the side of the pitch and United have got to get a good spread of of fans because for other fans, it would be their dream. You know, it's only football, it's only entertainment. And, 
there'll be there'll be some you know maybe younger fans who absolutely love the idea of being on the side of the pitch and will be full of enthusiasm and i'd rather see that i suppose than, than an advertising hoarding or another opportunity to cover seats up with with a money-making venture so there's all sorts of side issues here but yeah that there, there, there is a a knot of hardcore fans who've not missed games for years who on friday night will be missing their first match and let's make some predictions Laurie, I want to throw it to you first. How do you think this game's going to end? I'm so bad at predictions, Carl. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is why I never have any bets or gambling uh, accounts. Um, As Andy actually touched upon, United were really... um, you know, eager for the, for the Spurs game, you know, uh, when it was originally scheduled, I think they they looked at the Spurs being depleted. They looked at their run and they looked at their own impressive form and thought this is a match we can really go win, put a marker down, and you know solidify that sort of Champions League spot. Obviously, it's it's going to be slightly different now. Harry Kane's back, Son is back, but Deli Ali is out. So you know, I suppose that's that, that is something to be considered. I think if push comes to shove, I think it probably be a score draw. But I'd, I, I I think. If if it's not a United win, score draws. I don't think Tottenham will win. Andy? United, when they have time to prepare properly for a game, do very, very well. Liverpool home this season, and PSG uh, away, Chelsea after the Marbella trip, uh, Tottenham Hotspur nil, Manchester United 5. No, I'm joking, <laughs> but I, I'm, I, I am an optimist and I just hope that it hasn't been too disruptive towards Manchester United. However, I am slightly fearful that Jose Mourinho, uh, there is still life in him, make no mistake, and he would love nothing more. But just to be talking about the whole thing like this excites me. I'm really looking forward to it, even though it, it, it's on, on TV and you've got two um, squads with, with fit players and great, you know, it'd be just nice to talk about it. Can I just one thing in there, Andy, you've reminded me, mm. I mean, throughout this period we've obviously seen Jose train a couple of his players, perhaps in the, in the park, you know, these sort of accidental occurrences where, you know, he was able to, yeah. um, you know, put them through their paces you know, suspicions aroused about that and I, I, you know, the, the sort of idea that that he sees this as a real opportunity for Spurs. This this break came at a good time for them to actually now make a run at it. You know, it's only four points behind United um, and, and he still sees this as an opportunity. So that's why he's perhaps been pushing the boundaries of, of what's been allowed. And I know that's raised a few eyebrows elsewhere and, and you know, United have been playing it absolutely by the book to, to keep infections down. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how Tottenham come out of it because, you know, certainly, you know, Jose has been working his players hard. Let's talk about Marcus Rashford. Now, he's not Manchester United's captain yet, but he has proved himself as basically everyone's best mate now after his work. Getting the government to perform a U-turn on the decision to not award free school meal vouchers over the summer holidays to school children in England. Thanks to Marcus Rashford's effort, the government is now going to fund a scheme where nearly 1.3 million children are eligible for. That's nearly 1.3 million children who will be able to get meals throughout the summer. This is amazing work from a guy who, remember, is only 22 years of age. has been doing this during lockdown through his work, through Fair Share and writing an open letter to MPs. Laurie, Marcus Rashford, what a man. Yeah, he's a great role model, I think. You, you look at the um, platform that he's got 
and um, the way that he's using it now is incredibly impressive, I feel. The government letter, the open letter to, to reverse their decision to stop uh, free school meal vouchers for low-income families. And also, I think the way that he's responded to criticism has been excellent in the tweet. So, you know, you've got some people, you know, one MP, you know, criticising the fact that he, it's, it's Theresa Coffey who's in uh, the cabinet, who says that, you know, water cannot be disconnected when he mentioned that you have to think about the families that are going without showers this morning, you know, and he's responded to that very calmly and just said that I'm concerned that this is the only tweet of mine that you've acknowledged. Please put rivals aside for a second and make a difference. So he's not engaging in this kind of, you know, a petty political point scoring. He's got a clear vision for what he wants. And when you hear him speak again on, on I think BBC Breakfast it was on, on Monday when he was talking about his campaign he spoke from the heart where he talked about how he had had to use these vouchers when he was growing up and, and the love and affection from his mother obviously helped him come through that period but it, it also she was going to pound world and and buying yogurts you know for seven days one one per day that, that's how tight money was for him so clearly he knows what it means to be in that kind of struggle he's using his voice he's using his profile to get real meaningful change Marcus Rashford's proving himself as a leader on and off the pitch, Andy. I think everybody's proud of him and I'd echo a lot of what Laurie said. And I heard on heard him being discussed on the Today programme on Radio 4. Now that is like the British establishment. That's what the politicians listen to. And it wasn't one soundbite, it wasn't one public appearance. This is sustained pressure from a 22-year-old working-class lad from, from Wivenshaw, from Manchester, Northern Moor as well. Now, Wivenshaw, when it was built, was reputed to be the largest social housing, council estate, call it what you want, scheme in, in Europe. There's a good buzz around him anyway. He always scores well on the Manchester grapevine. And I'm a little bit struck as well because uh, I'm from Trafford. I grew up three or four miles from him. I've got family living where, where he lives lived growing up. I know lads who knew him very well. And the fact that 10 years ago, he was going hungry, that that startles me because you know that there's food banks, you know that people need support. And to have a young lad like him in Trafford, which is relatively wealthy for Greater Manchester, Trafford has got exceptional um, state schools, Sale and Northern Moor, where he's from, right? Northern Moor is an estate, but Sale is where the rugby union team come from, from the northwest. Rugby union traditionally is uh, supported by the middle and, and upper middle classes. And and he's going hungry in, in 2005 and 2010. You know, after Manchester had staged the Commonwealth Games, after these glass towers had started going up, and you've got a young lad going hungry. And, and that just startles me. I, I was drinking in those areas at the time. And you know that people are are below the poverty line. I think Marcus's mum comes out of this incredibly well for keeping the family together, for supporting the family. And I think it's an, uh, a nod for mums everywhere. I remember when my, my own parents separated, my, my mum just did everything for her, her three children. And I was in Trafford as well, like Marcus, and we never went hungry. But my mum had the two or three jobs. I was the only one in my class who didn't have the official school uniform because it couldn't be afforded. You know, she she improvised and, and bought a badging and, and sewed it on. And, and and we didn't go hungry. We had holidays. And it, it, it it's in, incredible, A, that someone's not done this before, but B, that he's doing it and he's sticking at it. And 
it's fantastic. He, he could bring about more social change than, than any other footballer. He's not just linking his name to a campaign, he's following it through. And he has got time to do it. This isn't a lad going out drinking after training, going out womanising after training, going out gambling. He, 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 he seems really serious about this. And those first-person memories are incredibly strong. And they, they, they really, um, they're the thing that, he's not been told to say this. He's been, he's been hungry himself. So he knows that people really need help right now. Harry sponsors Talk of the Devils podcast. Brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Harry knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. There's a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So if you're in the middle of lockdown and your beard isn't quite the way you want it, I recommend getting a bit of Harry's. And the great news is, as a listener of Talk of Those podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and you can get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, a five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash devils right now. That's harrys.com slash devils. Closing out this week's podcast, it's our... Mailbag. We regularly host a question and answer with all subscribers over in Athletic. Laurie, you did one. You had loads of questions in, so let's go through some of the best ones. First things first is from Mr. David B, who asks, wouldn't it make sense to bring back Dean Henderson purely to make sure Sheffield United don't take fifth place? <laughs> yeah, he also says, oh, is that too short-sighted, which I think is a fair point because um, United have looked at what Dean Henderson's done with Sheffield United, been really pleased with how he's developed, obviously from Championship now into the Premier League, playing, you know, the the, the, the cold face of elite football. And they think that actually having him there for this end of the season where there's the stuff on the line, the Champions League, potentially Europa League for Sheffield United, even though that might impact Manchester United, he should stay there, benefit from it. Chris Wilder spoke, didn't he? Uh, he's had a conversation with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on Sunday, I think it was, where they basically agreed the broad terms. It still needs to be absolutely finalised at the time of recording this. And then the other side of it was, listen, if, if United feel the need to recall Dean Henderson so that they can get you know, the Champions League place, then something's not quite right there because, you know, you look at the longer term picture and, and, and clearly they shouldn't be having to rely on that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that's why they're allowing the, the loan to go on to the end of the season. Speaking of Champions League football, Jack H has a question of uh, what happens with the European fixtures. Andy, you were at Manchester United's last game, which was there behind closed door first leg against Latsk. Do we know when the Europa League's coming back? There are reports, it hasn't been confirmed yet uh, by UEFA, but there are reports that it will be played in a, a tournament format um, from the 10th to the 21st of August using four grounds in, in Germany, um, Gelsenkirchen, where Schalke play, that old 60,000, uh, Dusseldorf, 50,000, Cologne, 50,000, Duisburg, 31,000. So very modern stadia. I was there at the start of March. Um, it's a real football hotbed. It's a very sort of working class the rural area. Um, so you can see that that makes sense. It hasn't been confirmed and reports about the Champions League being played in Lisbon, similar in that there are three or four very good top-level stadiums uh, in a country which has had COVID under control. Uh, my feeling is I still want United to win the Europa League. Um, I think Lask will do very well to put six past United. That leg will have to be played. And 
so that that game will have to be played and then as i understand it would be one-off matches uh, it's a shame there'll be no final in gdansk i really look forward to going there for, for the first time but i'd be quite excited there's still some really good teams left in in the europa league and i think it's a competition well worth winning not just because you get in the champions league if you win it and that's what that's where it is at the moment but it, it is yet to be confirmed but it is pointing towards um all the teams being in one place after the domestic seasons have been finished uh, one final question this is from mr t um, not sure if it's that mr t but he wants to know about a player that hasn't been talked about so much in this podcast recently uh, dan james uh, basically trying to ask how is dan james doing given that a lot of transfer talk we've discussed on this podcast has involved people that would normally play on the right-hand side of midfield, his position, Jack Grealish, Jadon Sancho, for example. Um, Laurie, how is Dan James right now? He's good, I think. Um, he um, spoke very eloquently, actually, um, during lockdown on the um, sort of tears that he shed after the win at the Etihad uh, in the Premier League earlier this season because he was so happy, but he wanted to share that with his, his father, Kevin, who obviously um, very sadly passed away just at the point at which he was he was about to sign for United and, and that got delayed. So, But here's, here's a kid that is pretty mentally resilient um, in that regard. So um, I don't think he will mind too much that United are being linked with uh, other players that are, you know play in his position. Clearly the right wing is, is somewhere where United have wanted to strengthen them. But then again, Dan James's best work for Swansea came on the left wing, sort of cutting in. So maybe that ultimately just means that he he shifts around. I think where he's come from with Swansea, he, he you know had a accelerated um, career path with them, playing once in the, one season in the Championship, then playing for Manchester United. I think he understands that you know Manchester United is such a big club that they're going to have players you know um, signing for them that are you know for multi millions of pounds and that means he just has to fight for his place a bit more but I think he understands that and it's a, it's only a healthy thing isn't it to have more than one player in each position that can do a job for for the club and I think he needs help he he played he started 32 games so far this season and came on in another five I don't think he would have expected to be that involved when he signed for the club and it's an area which has been of concern to United for a number of years he needs to contribute more. He had that brilliant start. I think he scored three goals in, in August alone. And then there's that huge drought up until... He scored in Lask, didn't he? He scored in um game in Lask. So, you know, from, from August all the way to, to Lask. And he's got that speed. He's a very popular lad. As Laurie says, he's resilient. He's settled in well. There's a, there's a, good, there's a good buzzer around him. But would he be the best right-hand-sided player... Uh, which are getting any team in the world? No, he's he's still improving. He's he's still a young lad. So, uh, I think the idea of Sancho coming in really appeals to United fans. He's a better player, um, but Dan, as Laurie said, he can also play on the left hand side, and he's still got that that pace to to kill. So, I think he's got a decent future at United. Just not convinced it will be one where he's playing fifty games next season. This is it. There's a genuine Manchester United game on this week. Thank you so much to Laurie. Cheers, Carl. And thank you to Andy. Cheers, Carl. We're going to be back next week to talk about a game of football that Manchester United played. Isn't that going to be fun? Um, Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Talk of the Devils podcast. That's a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll see you next week.